But we're going to go ahead and open with communion. So you guys, sorry. Uh, we're going to open with communion. You guys can just start passing that out as soon as you get up here. And really, we're going to lay hands on, at the end on people. But this is, the, you know, between this and the word being given and the laying on of hands, receive your healing. Have that on your mind. Okay? Believe you receive. He said, whatsoever, whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe and receive. Sometimes when I'm praying for that, it's going to sound funny, but we have an imagination for a reason. I see a, I see a sign. Believe, receive. Believe in my head. Right? I know it sounds out there, but you, you want to focus in on that. You want to lock in on believing and receiving. Would you be up front to get your hands laid on if you didn't believe? There's a good chance you believe just because you're up front. And so just be thinking about that. I have, uh, we have some scriptures I just want to go over with you. Um, in Isaiah 53, starting with Isaiah 53, we'll, put, we'll go to that verse in the end. Isaiah 53. Think about this now. Can we put the sculpture up? As we read this, this prophecy that was true to a T, he bore on that cross, what did he bear? Your griefs. What's that? Well, in the Greek language, sickness, weakness, and distress. He, he bore it. He, he, he was carrying that. He carried our sorrows, pains of punishment, Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if leprosy. They, they, they um, avoided him. They couldn't even look at him when he was up there. He was wounded. Why was he wounded? For, for your transgressions, for your mistakes, for when you blew it. He was bruised. That means crushed. He was crushed for your guilt and your iniquities. More sins there, right? Transgressions, guilt, Iniquities, this is all the cross. The chastisement, the need to obtain peace and well-being for you. What's stopping you from getting it was on him. And with the stripes that wounded him, you are healed and made whole. And you just, you, you, you think about him alive, still alive for six hours on that cross, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has made to light upon him. And there it is again. The Lord is making sure that it is clear what he did for us, the guilt and iniquity, the sin. It says, it says in the New Testament, he became your sin. He actually became sin. All right? It's the great exchange. He takes your sin. You take his righteousness. All right? He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive, opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I think we jumped to verse 10 here. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's the Lord's plan. He was, he was put, put him to grief, made him sick. He was sick. He was, you, you, you picture when you take communion, what's your issue? Put it on him. Right there, put it on him. You have an imagination, right? That's what it's for. And, and, and when, you, 
when you and he make his life an offering for sin, he was literally an offering, and he has risen from the dead in time to come, he shall see his spiritual offsprings. I, I believe offspring, we have verse 11, I believe. And he shall see the fruit of, of the travail of his soul, be satisfied by his knowledge of himself, which he possesses and imparts to others. Shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, what? He's going to justify many and, and make righteous, upright and right standing with God. He shall bear. There's your righteousness, your iniquities and your guilt. What does that mean? With the consequences. <laughs> the law guys don't like that. Okay? He took the consequences. That's what that means. It, that's, the, that's the definition of absolute remission in Hebrews. Him taking the consequences for when you blow it. Then Isaiah 52, 14. For many, the servant of God became an object of horror. He was. They, they looked at him. They, were, they, were, they saw crucifixions all the time. Okay? And they were, oh, when they saw him, many were astonished at him, astonished. His face and his whole appearance were marred than any, more than any man's. <clears throat> and his form beyond that of the sons of men, he, he wasn't recognizable. That, that's, that's a good picture. He wasn't recognizable. The one you see later, he is recognizable. And so you think about that. When we take communion, he took it all. Put your sickness on him. On him, he became that. As we take communion, you can sit or you can stand. I just want you to receive it. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. As often, do it often as you do this. Remember me. He said, remember me. Thank you for healing, Lord. Just give them, give them a touch as we commune with you, Lord. Touch their hearts. Heal their hearts. Heal their minds, wills, emotions. He took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. Cut my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. I do this in the morning, I don't, it's not my, uh, I don't like to focus on the devil, but he just told me, you know, the blood represents your authority in a lot of ways, and I just, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command any principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, behind any spirit of infirmity, oppression, depression, fear, unbelief behind it in a, in a spirit of accusation, confusion, deception, behind a spirit of pride, I'll bind you. Behind oppression and depression, we bind you, we rebuke you, we resist you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we command you to flee. You are not allowed in here. You are not allowed in here in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as we take the offering, as you prepare your offering, I'm just letting you know there's an offering envelope located on the seat back in front of you for your convenience. 
And if you're joining us online, thank you so much for tuning on in online. Can you see me? Can you see me? If you can see me, say, hi, Jim. I want to see how many hi, Jims. I checked that thing after. I checked that transcript. If you're, and if you, see, you can see the various ways you can give on your screen, online. If you look at the old covenant regarding the nation of Israel, this is old covenant, but it's something to think about. A big part of their obedience, and I, I understand it's a different covenant, but a big part of their obedience was giving offerings. Giving was a part of their worship, literally, the way they did it. Not something to just get over with or rush through. I mean, if you study it out, God gave really clear instructions to them how to give. We're talking about the Israelites. Where to give, what to give. And when they gave it, it was always done with rejoicing and celebration. Always. Why? Because they knew what they could expect when they gave. And we're supposed to be under a better covenant? I mean, if you think about it, when the Israelites had a relationship with God, it wasn't a formula to get their needs met. But in the relationship, they didn't have to fear for being in want. They knew that if they were faithful to God in their giving, and they had to obey those commandments, those 600 and something commandments, but remember they had animal sacrifices to cover their sins. But still, it was like covered with a rug. You can always pull back the rug. Our sins have been, it, the meaning of it is obliterated. Absolute remission. Gone. It says your sins and iniquities, he has mercy on. Your lawless deeds of unrighteousness, he remembers, knows more, remembers no more. They're not covered, they're forgotten. Then God would do everything he promised for them. They believed God actually acted on what he promised. And they didn't have a fear of crop failure, food shortages, water contamination, famine, sickness, poverty, barrenness. And we're in a better covenant today. I believe that honoring him at this time of year, right now, with offerings, there's, these are special feasts. This year, this, during this time, special time of the year is important. Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread, that's the Passover, and in the feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, in the feast of tabernacles, they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he hath given thee. We, Father, we bless this offering. And, and there's power in that word bless. We bless it. And we bless this congregation in the name of Jesus Christ. That word bless means happy are you. You are to be envied. You are to be envied in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless them and bless every single person tuning in online in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we... Uh, we are in a series called Revelation Revealed. This is message number nine. We're coming out of uh, seven letters to seven churches that Jesus 
had the Apostle John pen. And you can see this is all in order because right out of those letters, which really line up with what the church is dealing with today, not conforming to the world, eventually we're going to be dealing with more and more persecution. I'm telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to split. You're going to know who's serious, and you're going to know who's not. You can see it coming if you're paying attention. Everything written to those churches lines up with what's going on right now. As we look at Revelation 4.1, as we put that on the screens just to let you know, we're doing Revelation chapter 4 today. It's only 11 verses. Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. This is John the Apostle. The first voice which I heard was was as it were a trumpet talking to me, talking with me, which said, come up hither. I will show show thee things which must be hereafter, which means a lot. The people and churches and part of the body of Christ that takes the Bible very strictly, very seriously. We don't throw anything out. And we see here in verse 1, 4, a door is being opened. And you see four times in Revelation is a door opened. In verse 1, we have a door opened into heaven, the literal command post of God, the throne of God. You're going to see this. He wanted you to get a picture of what you're going to see. That's why I put it down. And this to me, is the most descriptive. There's another place in the Old Testament where it's pretty descriptive. But, and here we go. He hears a voice as if it were a trumpet. That sounds familiar, eh? I mean, I know there's a lot of trumpets. Revelation, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons with the shout of an archangel and with the blast of the trumpet of God. We just read, as if it were a trumpet talking to me, all right, in Revelation 4.1, with the shout of an archangel and with the blast of the trumpet of God. John said, as if it were a trumpet talking to me. Here you've got an archangel shouting and a trumpet. And those who have departed... This life in Christ will first rise. Then we, the living ones who remain on the earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always through the eternity of eternities, we shall be with the Lord. And you're supposed to keep this in front of each other. The Thessalonians, they had to tell them to all go back to work. They all quit their jobs. They thought the rapture was coming. So they had to teach on, on uh, he had to teach on this in detail. First Thessalonians, just like Revelation 4.1, a trumpet sounding, then a voice saying, come up. Interesting. Coincidental? Come up. We're caught in the clouds. Come up. The commentators that believe like us, and there's a lot of them, believe this is the rapture. And it's not coincidental that it's coming out Right out of seven letters to the seven churches 
and the church isn't mentioned again, okay? The churches have just been spoken to, how to act, how to check themselves, what to look for in the last days. And I can just tell you, you never hear the church mentioned again in the book of Revelation. The tribulation runs through Revelation chapters 6 through 19. Tribulation. That's going to be so interesting. Two weeks. In two weeks. And the church is not mentioned one time in the tribulation chapters. Wouldn't he have some instructions for us? Right? Hoard your food. At one point in the tribulation, there's going to be no water to drink. No water. The, water. the only water to drink will be previously probably bottled water at that point because of wormwood, because of multiple things happening. You know, there is an asteroid. It, they've called it. April 13th, 2029. Wormwood. They call it Apophi a, a or... NASA first, first said it's going to hit the earth. But then they quickly walked that back and said, no, it's just going to miss it. It's going to be real close. Coincidental, NASA is now shooting spacecraft at asteroids for what? To get ready for 2029, Friday the 13th. Well, I put that in the middle of the, middle of the tribulation. That's later on down in those judgments. Huh. Interesting, huh? So we're not going to get, get into those people that believe that there is a mid-trib rapture. They look at one scripture on that, one scripture, and think it might be talking about the church. Or the church has to go through the whole tribulation, so you need to buy $15,000 worth of dried food right now and water to last you seven years and, and hide, and if you don't want your head cut off. There's no point to go into all this if the church, it's not even mentioned. It's not even mentioned in the tribulation scriptures because we're not here. And here you happen to have the rapture and Jesus spoke personally to the church in chapters two and three. And, and you know, how, how close are the two? Look, look, Revelation 4, 1. After this I looked, behold, a door was opened in the heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, said, come up here. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Take notice, I tell you a mystery, a secret truth, an event decreed by the hidden purpose or counsel of God. We shall not fall asleep in death. We're going to be the special ones. But we shall be changed, transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trumpet call for us, for the church. There's trumpets, judgments in Revelation. For a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, free and immune from decay. And we shall be changed and transformed at that point. For this perishable part of us must put on an imperishable nature. This mortal part of us, this nature that is capable of dying, must put on immortality at that point. So looking at Revelation 4.1, John sees a door opening to heaven. He hears a voice. Gee, what a coincidence. It sounds like a trumpet saying, come up here. It's inviting him to come see that takes place, things that take place after that point. What's hereafter? Most scholars believe hereafter is after the church age. What had just ended. So John was looking and hearing in Revelation 4.1, he was seeing a world that he naturally couldn't see. 
He couldn't see in hearing what the natural ear, he couldn't hear what the natural ear could hear. And the voice John heard was like a trumpet. Coincidentally, the same kind of voice raptures the church for that. And another reason involving a Greek word, harpazo, translating into Latin, that word meaning caught up. But for me to go into this, you guys, it would take it way too long. Many prophecy experts believe John is representing the whole church here as ascending into heaven. And it's not coincidental, it'll be right after those seven letters to seven churches. Coming up after that trumpet is, is the rapture, because when the rapture occurs, the church ascends into heaven at the sound of a trumpet, just as we have John doing. Remember, most of the New Testament is written in the Greek language, which has been translated into Latin, then into English. A lot of people don't know that. Just on a side note, the guys that don't believe in the rapture, they say, oh, it doesn't exist. They say the word rapture isn't mentioned in the Bible. The word rapture is not in English translations of the Bible. It is an, an, an English version of a word that appears in Latin translations. Listen to me. Most of the New Testament was written in the Greek, but then it was translated into Latin in 405 AD. Not English, by a guy named St. Jerome, 405 his translation went from Latin into English later that we know today. Several verses in the Bible in his Latin translation contain the word repair, means caught up, snatched, or taken by force. That's where we get that word. So when they say that that word is not in there, they're not right. Christians translate this Latin word to mean rapture. You see it in the English Bible as caught up or John called up as John was. You see that John was called up. Someone told John to come up at the voice of a trumpet. There's so much more detail to this. It's the best I can do without, you could spend a whole sermon on this verse proving, just going back into all the translations and all that. Going into, the, going into all the words and the six other times in the Bible, people were caught up. Six other times. Or coming up. Or being called up. Enoch, Elijah, Jesus, Philip, Paul, and the two witnesses in Revelation. And you see that harpazo word four times in those six times. Notice the words in Revelation 4.1. Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter in red ink. That's the words of Jesus. Verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. One sat on the throne. That, this in the spirit, it's such a misused phrase, in my opinion. I, I never thought I was good enough because I just never felt like I was ever in the spirit. You know? We, I think people mistake the presence of God, maybe, for being in the spirit. The word throne in this, this verse appears 43 times in the book of Revelation, 14 times in this chapter. Oftentimes, this chapter in the book of Revelation is called the throne room chapter. Just a little different take on the phrase, in the spirit. Numerous commentators say that in the spirit means John left his body. This had to happen because John could not enter heaven because his body had not yet been glorified. But his spirit can enter because his spirit, man, just like your spirit, is the righteousness of God. 
So he had to leave his body. And your spirit man is righteous and cleansed of all sins. So we see John had to enter heaven in spirit form. Verse 3, and he, he's, he's, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around the throne in sight like unto an emerald. I bet there's a really good painting of this somewhere. There's some great artwork of, of these things out there if you, if you just Google it. You have the first phrase saying, who is on the throne? Look, what does he look like? He's Jasper and Sardius stone. Jasper is a dark green. Sardius stone is a, a fiery red color. And the Jasper stone was a stone on the breastplate of the high priest. Just like the Sardius stone is called in some translations the carnelian. Okay, these two stones were the last two stones on the breastplate of the high priest in Israel. And so... Many scholars believe the rainbow encircling the, 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 the throne is there to remind us when we arrive in heaven um, of God's promise that he won't destroy the earth during the tribulation, because that's coming. And, and a lot of us, unfortunately, will have people we know down here. Love, even love. And he's, he's just telling us, they, a lot of scholars believe that this is just a reinforcement. It's not going to be destroyed. The Jasper Stone is also the first of 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem, which we, we, we talk about late in the book of Revelation, the New Jerusalem, all right? Just make a point here, and we'll get to these verses. You have John trying to describe everything he was seeing, what was on the throne, what's surrounding the throne, what's coming from the throne. He's talking about what's before the throne, and I'm willing to guarantee you we're going to see these same things that we're trying to wrap our heads around. When we get up there, when the church is raptured into heaven, we're going to see these things, and I'm going to look at you guys, and I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'm going to be thinking... You know how many think it told you. <laughs> told you. Told you. Told you. Told you, Trina. Remember that day? Remember that, remember that day? October 1, Trina? I remember. October 1, 2022. Remember when I said it? Revelation 4 4. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. I'm going to give you all the takes here, but I think there's one that's real obvious. This uh, seats in the first sentence should have been translated thrones because that is the meaning of that actual Greek word. They're sitting on thrones. Most commentators believe they're in a semicircle around the throne, the main throne of God. Some suggest this is uh, the 12 tribes of Israel doubled signifying joining of the Gentile and the Jews. Others believe this means Old and New Testament, 12 representing each covenant. Others believe it's the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Any way you look at it, the 24 elders on these 24 thrones are representing in some way, or maybe in always, the complete work of God. Most commentators more than not believe this is associated with the priests of Israel, pointing to the fact that at one time, the entire nation of Israel had 24 priests, high priests. 
special priests. Many commentators believe 24 elders here will represent every believer that's ever been from Pentecost on. Clothed in white, they're representing the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. The crowns are rewards for their earthly deeds. Remember the church after it's raptured will receive robes and crowns and will begin its reign with Jesus in heaven before the tribulation right when it starts. The fact that he's got these elders sitting on thrones, they're clothed, clothed in white raiment. Well, you can pull these exact things out of the seven letters to the seven churches. The two previous chapters, you can see white raiment, Jesus telling Laodicea to buy from him. You can see uh, these elders wearing crowns of gold. That's referred to twice in the seven letters about people getting crowns. Here's the big giveaway who, who the elders are. I, I know we'll be in this chapter next week, but Revelation 5, 8 through 10. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Open my vial, right? <laughs> That's kind of an interesting verse. <laughs> Put my vial to the front of the line then, right? They sung a new song, so they all sang, these creatures and the elders. Thou art worthy to take the book, open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the, thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. We know these are representatives of the church here because the people are singing with the four beasts, you've redeemed us. Well, who else is that? And you've made us kings and priests. So it's clear the 24 elders, I personally believe they're representing the church just by what they're singing. Uh, think about this. Uh, believers, we have crowns promised. These guys are all wearing crowns. There's a crown of life that was given to those who suffered for his sake. You see that in Revelation 2. There's a crown of righteousness for those who loved his appearing. There's a crown of glory for those who fed the flock. There's a crown of incorruptible that you can find in 1 Corinthians 9. There's a crown of rejoicing for those who win souls. Just name five crowns that we know of in the scriptures. I guarantee you there's more than five. You can't earn your salvation, but you can earn a bunch of crowns. For, verse 5, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire, hint, hint, another hint, burning before the throne now, which are the seven spirits of God. Try, just trying to put this together here. What a lot of different commentators say, lightning and thunder from the throne of God is a symbol that the storm is coming. It is a signal of the tribulation period. The seven lamps of fire, have we covered that? I think we've covered that. What are they doing up there? I wonder what they're doing up there. Revelation 120. Revelation 120. As to the hidden meaning, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, this is Jesus. The seven lamp stands of gold. Seven stars are seven angels, the seven assemblies. 
churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's the church. So you have Jesus himself explaining these images in chapter 1. The lampstands are the seven churches. So I think that's interesting now that we have seven lamps of fire. So in chapter 1, you had seven churches there on earth. And if you think a lamp of fire is the same thing as a lampstand or a candlestick, it's all the same thing. We now have them in heaven. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. I'm not building a doctrine on all that. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible and matching up what was described in other chapters. And also, we went over in chapter 1, the seven spirits of God are an idiom of the Holy Spirit based on the seven characteristics he has given in the book of Isaiah. These are not his nine gifts. And I've already given uh, in two of the eight messages, we've talked about what those, those characteristics are. Revelation 4, 6. And in front of the throne, there was also what looked like a transparent glassy sea, as if of crystal. Around the throne, in the center, at each side of the throne, were four living creatures, beings who were full of eyes in front and behind with intelligence as to what is before and at the rear of them. That means they could see everywhere. Oftentimes in the Bible, when you talk about a sea, Talking about the sea of glass, like in the Daniel series, it talks about massive humanity. I don't think it's that. In this case, I think that the tabernacle in the Old Testament gives us a hint. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but when you pass something called the brazen altar in the tabernacle, if you were walking in, there was something called a laver of water, and you had to wash in this laver of water before you could get into the holy place. And if Ephesians talks about us being cleansed, we're washed by the water of the word. I believe because of those things that, and the, the prophecy experts believe the sea of glass is symbolism for the water of the word. Looking at the four beasts full of eyes, that's actually a mistranslation. It, it should read four creatures. In the King James, it says beasts full of eyes, before and behind. Verse 7 the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Does this sound familiar? Have we read about these creatures somewhere? Ezekiel 1, 4 and 7. And I, I looked, behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber. So we got the color now. Out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst there came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. Verse 10, as for the likeness of their faces, they, they four had the face of a man, the face of a lion. On the right side, they four had the face of an ox. On the left side, they four also had the face of an eagle. Four-sided face. Each one, okay? Describe, but I tell you before describing and trying to break down Revelation 4-7 that there is no official proof or a scripture that proves the exact answer to what these creatures are, Okay? 
If the Lord would have really wanted us to know for sure, he would have told us plain as day. But I'm, I'm going to give you the interpretations. First of all, I don't know that they had the colors. I don't know. You've got a, a really good artist trying to put, put this the way they see it, right? So can we show that 20-second that video of this creature? So you got the, you got the it's a, like a four. This is one of four, right? And I don't know that he's that color. And he's got eyes on the backside. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> the first interpretation of this verse is that these creatures, the, the music didn't help, did it? They, they represent the attributes of God, okay? How do they do that? You got a lion, a calf, a man, four faces, and a flying eagle. The lion is showing or representing the majesty or the strength of God. The calf or ox reveals the servanthood of God. Remember, Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. In Matthew 20, 28, the face of a man reveals the intelligence and uh, sovereignty of God. The flying eagle is speaking of the sovereignty and supremacy of God. And just because it's something similar does not mean that that's that. Right? The other option, these creatures represent the four gospels. The lion represents the gospel of Matthew. Matthew, if you pay close attention, was written to the Jews about their king as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The ox, commentators believe, represents the, the gospel of Mark showing Jesus as a servant doing the total and complete will of the Father. The face of the man representing the gospel of Luke is written to mankind in general showing Jesus as the son of man. The eagle is seen as a representative of the gospel of John, which is speaking of Jesus as God, more often than not. And this is a very good argument. Not all commentators agree that the nature of each gospel can be so perfectly categorized. The other question is, what is God's actual motive for representing all four gospels separately? and have creatures that actually surround him. The third option views these creatures as symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel because when the Israelites were wandering the desert, they set up their camps. They, they set them up in a similar way that the creatures have been arranged. Numbers 2 says the east side of the camp, remember they were in the desert, two and a half million Israelites, they set up like this every night, was the tribe of Judah, along with Simeon and Gad on the east side. Most of us know Judah was a lion. The symbol for Judah was a lion. The south side was Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, and the tribe of Reuben's symbol was a man. Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin were to the west, and Ephraim was symbolized as an ox. The north side of the camp in Numbers 2, the way the Israelites set up every day, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, Dan's symbol was an eagle. But these symbols are, are tradition. Okay? These symbols you're not going to pull right out of the Bible. The fourth option sees the creatures as a special group of angels. Their only focus is serving and worshiping the Lord. Do you guys want to see that video again or should we skip it? Raise your hand if you want to see it. It's 50-50. 
Okay, well, you close your eyes. Let's play it again. Let's play it again. Okay. Okay, so Revelation 4 8, the four beasts, each of them had six wings. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. What are these beasts doing? They're saying, Holy, 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 Lord, O God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. This is the reason all these guys believe this is an elite group of angels. Again, Isaiah 6, 2 and 3. Above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Seraphim, the whole earth is full of his glory. We can see that Isaiah is calling this seraphim. But why are they saying holy, holy, holy? I believe it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's go through verses 9 through 11 here. When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, when the, so the beasts start in, the four and twenty elders fall down, they get up off their thrones, they fall down before him that sat on the throne, worship him that liveth forever and ever, and put their crowns before the throne. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. They are and were created. Sometimes, just think of him creating you. Why are you here? For his pleasure. Look at it like that. You're here for his pleasure. When I laugh at my dog, he's probably laughing at my dog. The words glory, honor, and thanks to give him glory is to recognize him for what he has done. We were doing it in worship. That third song. We're giving him glory. What are we doing? We give you glory. We're recognizing you. We're recognizing you for what you have done. For what you have done for us. Because I would be in jail right now. Okay? You can find these words, glory, honor, and thanks, all together eight different times in the book of Revelation. To give him honor is recognizing him. Not for what he has done, but for the fact that he, it's him that did it. He is the one that did it. When we go into the fifth chapter next week, you will see that these praises are being generated by these creatures. And if we're understanding what the word of God is saying, even in these heavenly scenes that we're trying to put a picture to in our minds, it's just when we get up there, it is going to blow you away. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing probably a, I realized today, you know, he's like, you know, you can picture it, but it, it's not the size of the sanctuary, okay? It's a lot bigger than the sanctuary, this, this place. Even in these heavenly scenes, we're trying to put a picture. You still see that the subject line, in my opinion, would be the cross and the resurrection. Give him glory for what he has done. Can we put that, that picture up out of the passion, the movie, The Passion? Give him glory for what he has done. Done what? Died for you. You have a God that died for you. Not just died a quiet death. The ancient of days sent his son. These phrases, I believe, are being done as it regards...
to what he did for us in the redemption, the whole redemption. Going into verse 10, we see the four and 20 elders fall down before him who sat on the throne. You know really what they're saying? Worship him who lives forever and ever is the same which is, as which was and is and is to come. He is eternal, and what they're saying is one thing they're saying. One thing it's doing is painting a picture of what the church on earth ought to be. And in a sense, it's really hard to understand fully the glory, the grace, the splendor, the magnificent, just how amazing God is. It is. None of us can truly understand it. It says, worship him who lives forever and ever. And you know, you can worship God without uttering a word. Are you aware of that? You can drive down the road and worship God. True worship abides in the attitude of the spirit behind the words. I remember years ago in the fifth service when it was really rolling. At one point it was running like 1,200 people and Brandon, Pastor Brandon up in Northwest now, he's the worship leader. And he's like, I really, we, we want to hire this guy. And they bring this guy in to run, to do worship, right? And, and I mean, it, and I'm just like, he's all about the show. You know what I mean? Just up there moving and jiving. And I'm just like, we're not hiring that guy. You know? Well, he's, he's one of the best. He's one of the, and he is one of the best. I was like, no, no. It was a show. The word worship occurs 24 times in Revelation. All of this times, 11 of them are directed towards God. 24 times in Revelation, the word worship. Nine of these worships are directed towards the Antichrist or his image, two straight to the devil and demons, and two are misdirected to an angel. And really, this is a picture of the conflict, the spiritual conflict prevailing, coming against or between the powers of good and evil as we go into these last days. And talking about verse 11, and worthy are you, Lord. Can we look at verse, verse 11 again? They weren't ready for that one. Oh, they were ready. Thou art worthy. O oh Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. They are and were created. I try without condemning myself, I try to get a sense of my own unworthiness. If you're going to call him worthy, you have to understand what is unworthy. I just think unless the actual worth of the Lord, how much, how, how worth he is, how worth it he is. It's hard to do that unless that is sensed by the worshiper. His worth, you, you sense his worth, how worth it is to you. How worth it he is. I know how worth it. I should not be here. I should not be alive. Thank God I got through my 20s. We're talking about worth. You're going to have to trouble even realizing your own unworthiness. The phrase, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now it's power. You alone are worthy. Glory, honor, and power. Worthy of what? Glory, honor, and power. The only thing that makes you worthy is the cross. Otherwise, you're completely unworthy. You don't have to be a criminal. You're still unworthy. Unworthy. 
If it wasn't for the cross, you would never be worthy enough. Looking at the phrase, you have created all things for your pleasure, they are and were created. Isn't it interesting how governments spend hundreds of billions of dollars trying to find out how earth came to be? His creation. How the galaxy came into being a big bang. We came from a tadpole. <laughs> Hebrews 11:3. through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen, those things which we can see, were not made of things which do appear, that you can see. They're made of things that you can't see. You can't see what you're made of. I believe it's sound when it comes down to it. You ever heard of a quark? So this is saying God used his word to speak things into existence, but man doesn't want to believe that. His own creation will rather believe evolution. His own creation. And as we close, I just think it's a good spot. I know a lot of people, they don't even watch the news because they know it's, a lot of it isn't true. It's bluster. They're trying to put your attention in certain things. So you don't see other things. And this, this will be, and, and I know it's, it's, it's a little bit, I just, I knew I would have a little time. And we talk about this in the upload of this week's final hour podcast on Monday. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm this, is a, <laughs> this is a scripture. What you're reading, we did a series on Daniel. And what you're reading, what I'm reading here, I believe, is a scripture that uh, is prophesied in Daniel, okay? September 12, 2022, uh, President Biden signed an executive order on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation. It's a big word. The executive order establishes a fast-tracked pipeline of mRNA shots and other gene therapies that will further the transhumanist agenda to create augmented humans and bring us into post-human world. The plan to turn you into a genetically edited cyborg. Uh, it's a dystopian report by the UK Ministry of Defense and German Office for Defense Planning. It was published in May of 2021. Report human aug augmentation, the dawn of a new paradigm. Strategic Implications Product 15 reviews the scientific goals of the UK and German defense ministries as they basically mirror that of the US Department of Defense. On page 12 of the report, the concept of the human body as a platform is described. How various parts of the human flat platform can be augmented. You can be improved. They're messing with the gene pool, the cells. Physical performance such as strength, dexterity, speed, endurance can be enhanced as well as physical senses. They were doing this. They were trying to do this with soldiers. CIA was back in the 60s. Um, one example, enhanced sight, physical performance, such as psychological performance, such as cognition, emotion, motivation. They can motivate you. They can influence your motivation. Activate and direct desired behavior. Um, improving memory, attention, alertness, creativity, understanding, decision-making, intelligence, vigilance. They can even cause you to perceive yourself as part of a group and the readiness to act as part of the team. You want to be part of the team? 
can be influenced. Your communication skills, collaboration, trust are also included. Put something in you that causes you to trust. Want to be part of the team. They list several different ways to influence physical, psychological, and social performance on the human platform. Human augmentation has the potential to change the meaning of what it means to be human. This is precisely what Klaus Schwab, uh, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, it is the most evil organization in the world, has stated is the goal of the fourth industrial revolution. Now, the mark of the beast, I guarantee you, it will be something that will upgrade you. Everybody will get it because it will upgrade you. It'll upgrade your strength. It'll upgrade your, your life, how long you live. That's what they're going to tell you. It will up, you'll only have about three and a half years at that point. But, 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 but it'll, it, it, all this, all this is going to go into people and get them. And, and you, t- you talk about Revelation and one of the, the judgments, a 200 million man army kills one fourth of the earth. And everyone thinks it's the Chinese army. Scholars are split. They think it's Chinese, which that would be a stretch to actually equip 200 million men. Or they think it's actual demons. Commentators are split. But I wonder if these are just created, people created, just people being messed with and totally controlled. Totally controlled. The World Economic Forum has been at the center of global affairs for more than 40 years. And if you take the time to dive into World Economic Forum's fourth industrial revolutionary revolution material, Google it, you'll realize it's all about transhumanism. It's about the merger of man and machine. This is a, the devil was prophesying on the Terminator. Honestly, I know that sounds out there. I know that sounds out there. This is a dystopian future that the World Economic Forum and its global allies, King Charles, Bill Gates, all those winners, and its global allies are actively trying to implement. Whether humanity at large agrees with it or not, Human Augmentation Report readily admits that human augmentation can directly enhance behavior. All kinds of grants out there, money for it. They're pushing this. That's what that executive order is. In the short term, it's crucial to realize that the fast tracking of genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictably program biology in the same way which we write software and program computers means they're going to cut corners. Testing is basically going to be done on the population at large, i.e. required shots. The results of such experimentation are relatively predictable. People will be seriously injured and many will die. And I think, okay, so, so, so they're messing with the gene pool. Look, can we look at Daniel 2, 42 and 43? If you, those of you that were in the, the series of Daniel... Uh, This is Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar basically dreams out, and Daniel interprets the Babylonian Empire in order. Then the Persians come in, in order. Then the Greeks come in. They they, 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 They describe Alexander and Daniel. 
Then the Romans come in. The only empire that has not come about yet, and they all came in order, that he called it ahead of time, is the, the revised Roman Empire, some call it. At the, this is that empire, and the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay. It's this empire. This is the coming empire, right? So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Okay, next verse. And what are they going to do? And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. It's talking about, it's talking about the revised Roman Empire. And that word, one of those words in there is the word Nephilim. Nephilim is from in the giants, the half demons, half people that God tried to rid the earth of. Okay? And what I'm saying is, I wonder if this is what they're mixing. If, 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 if there's, a, there's Nephilim, that's demon. That's demon. Demon mixed with man is what that is. And they're going to mix it with the seed of men, that empire. That, it's coming. It's coming. And so it's just we are, we are in, the, in the last days. We are in the last days. And if we make it to 2030, I'll say I was wrong. <laughs> We're not. All, all these goals, all these goals, it's all 2030, 2030, to all this stuff being implemented. You'll own nothing and be happy. Look it up. They're going there. You'll own nothing. Why? Because, well, we're not even going to talk about how communism has infiltrated our government. You wouldn't believe how many communists are in our government. Outright, straight up communist supporting people. 